Our friends at Scratch continue to pound out hit after hit on social media. The video this past week of Matt Kuchar swearing had us all in stitches. Make sure you're following them on Twitter at Scratch, S-K-R-A-T-C-H. Do it today. One more thing to make sure you guys check out this week. Got to see the video with Callaway Golf and Vice Sports that they did with Henrik Stenson. They went to his home club in Florida and taught him how to wake surf. Uh, That's all I'm going to say about it. CallawayGolf.com slash collabs. That's C-O-L-L-A-B-S to watch the full video. It's full Stenson sarcasm at its best. CallawayGolf.com slash collabs. Be the right club today. Yes! Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different? All right, guys, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Going to get to our interview very shortly with Mike Tarico. Just wanted to point out a couple things before we get on. We did uh, record this from on site here in Burkdale in the back room of a trailer that the Golf Channel helped us out with. That There's a lot of background noise going on. Um, there's some guys laughing, Bones, and a bunch of dudes were right outside the door laughing and kind of making fun of us, I'm pretty sure. But I uh, uh, had a great time with Mike. Super appreciative of his uh, getting, getting with us on such a busy week and for the Golf Channel guys for helping to set us up. Uh, I know doing stuff on site like this is very challenging, but... Uh, uh, without further ado, uh, here is our discussion with Mike Tarico. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast, coming at you live from Royal Burkdale. It's Tuesday afternoon, and I'm thrilled to be joined by the NBC host this week, Mike Tarico. Uh, Mike, how are you? Hey, Chris, good to see you. How are you? I'm good. Nice shorts, so you yeah. can caddy. It's 75 degrees out here. It's summer in England. This man. is it's it. Today's the day. Today's the only day. Today's the day. Well, summer. Oh, yeah, this is the this, summer this, day. This, this is it. Actually, they had good weather for Wimbledon, and it's really green here, too. So they've had rain and heat, which is a little odd. Um, the open is the best, like the traditional links, when it's brown. And it's not brown. It's green, but it's not really thick and lush mm-hmm. off the fairway. So um, usually if it's green, that means it's rained a lot. And if guys miss the fairway by five or six feet, it's just brutal. But that's not the case. So uh, this is still an awesome place, though. Yeah. So is this is this twenty one opens for you now? Am I counting this right? This is twenty one in a row. I feel like it's like becoming a sad tale of my life, but uh, it's a great tale for me. It's twenty one in my life, and I will tell you that uh, I mentioned this to someone yesterday. Uh, Chris Fowler at ESPN is a really good friend, and I texted him a couple of weeks ago when he was leaving for Wimbledon, and he said, um, "Can't wait to get there." Thanks for the text, but he said it feels like I'm as excited as I was for the first one, and I feel the same way. I, I just really? love coming here. There's some part of um, my career arc covering golf this championship that uh, just fits for me and I'm uh, super excited to be at number 21 in a row well I always wanted to ask well, it's different I, th- I would think now with you with NBC but mm-hmm. with ESPN yeah. you were essentially doing one tournament per year is that correct or well, with the Masters we, you had we were we were but we weren't it, it, yeah. was, it was kind of a, a progression so in 97 when I started doing this ABC still had a significant package of golf okay. so I would do Seniors events, uh, LPGA events, and we did a bunch of tour events. We did the Tour Championship. We did all the events between the U.S. Open and then it was called the British Open. Uh, Even won the week before the U.S. Open. 
and then we did a couple in January. So and the match play World Golf Championship. So um, we would do about twenty tournaments a year. I'd say from ninety seven to oh five or oh six. I would do on average twenty events a year, like the Skins game. Yeah. Uh, so a whole whole bunch of golf, but there were a significant number of tour events. Uh, and then uh, there was a stretch where uh, Turner did the Thursday Friday here, and we did Saturday Sunday, and then ESPN had the whole package, and we did all four days. And uh, towards the end of the ESPN run, after ABC lost the golf package, we did Augusta for a couple of days, the U.S. Open until that left for Fox. So early round coverage, the Masters, the U.S. Open, and all of the Open here. And then there were a couple like the British Senior and the Mm -hmm. Women's as well. So yeah, how did you, I guess, going backwards, maybe my question isn't that relevant. I always wondered how you kept up on everything going on with golf when you're not, I mean, the CBS and NBC schedules dominate the calendar now. So for, for, for like in the days when Mm -hmm. when you're just doing like the Open Championship and stuff, how... Are you a big golf fan? I'm a huge golf fan. Yeah, I, mean, okay. I watched the so, sport on TV before we started doing it in 97. And then I actually did the senior tour in 96 with Andy North, Gary Koch, and Bob Murphy. That was my first golf on TV. And uh, that gave me the opportunity to do the ABC gig starting in 97. And I followed it before when I was on SportsCenter. Um, and then all the way through, obviously, now to um, the days when we were doing 20 events a year. Over the last few years, when our number of events have been more limited, when I was working at ESPN, it was try to stay as close to touch with what's going on on a week-to-week basis. Don't wait to rush to prepare. And you were just adding on and adding on, because a lot of the same players were still there. And in addition to adding on, new guy comes on tour at Augusta or at the U.S. Open or here on Sunday or Monday. Make sure you go introduce yourself, say hi, meet them, and learn a little bit about them. Uh, so you can put a name with a face. I think the one thing that helped for us is so many golfers are sports fans. Yeah. So if they are American golfers, they've kind of seen you on the air, so they know what you do and who you are. So you kind of get into the relationship, getting to know each other a little bit deeper than if uh, it's a European tour player, like a Tommy Fleetwood, who would not run across me on Monday Night Football at that time or right. something like that. So that's how I tried to keep up. But it was easy because I cared. And, I, you know, if it's Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, I'm usually, if I'm home, we're not doing a game or something. I'm usually watching what's happening in the final round on tour. Yeah. Do you, is there a big adjustment in coming from ESPN to NBC in the way you cover this championship in particular? No, uh, because you know, the nuances of the championship are unique. And I know the people here. When we did the U.S. Open, NBC was the broadcast partner, ESPN was the cable partner. And starting at Pebble in 2000, um, Dan Hicks was, the, before that, number two guy with Dick Ember being the number one guy. So Dan would do all the ESPN hours. But then in 2000, Dan started his you know, awesome longest 18th tower run with Johnny. And they didn't have another person on the roster who was a play-by-play guy. And there were tons of hours. So the USGA knew that I did golf. And they gave us permission to use me in the booth uh, for a lot of the ESPN hours. So that's where I started working with Tommy Roy and the NBC guys. So there was a stretch, and I missed a few for World Cup soccer or other things like that. There was a stretch of a dozen years where I probably did eight or nine US Opens. So got to work with the NBC golf crew. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ryder Cup in Wales, Ryder Cup in Louisville uh, was on ESPN. 
on Thursday for uh, Friday, excuse me. And same thing, we got to work with these guys for you know a 10, 12 hour a day. Although in Wales, I think we were out for an hour and a half on Friday, and uh, it aired time. four times with all the rain. Yeah, and they <laughs> finished on Monday, so I knew uh, not just Tommy Roy, but Doug Graber, the director, Tom Randolph, and a lot of the people who were part of the infrastructure of the NBC Golf team. So when this started as my first event last year, it was like, hey, I know everybody. Yeah. And just kind of jump in with that. Was it was it difficult um, your first time doing the Open? It's mm-hmm. a completely different golf tournament. Yes. Let's let's back up a bit. What is? Do you play golf yourself? Are you a yeah, big golfer? What's your game my, like? My, inde- my index is twelve five. Okay. I play with it right now. Not a chance in hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the stretch where I'll go back after after this and play a bunch of golf, and I'll shoot in the mid eighties, and I'll you know flirt with breaking eighty every once in a while. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love playing. Uh, really enjoy grabbing your clubs in the morning um, and going to walk 18 holes and then have the rest of the day if you're on vacation to enjoy with your family. Uh, I wish I could play more. Yeah. Football, so when football season starts, you're, you're kind of done. Uh, there's a group of us. Actually, Jim Ressler is a producer for Big Ten Network. He used to work at ABC. And Derek Mobley, who directs the College Football National Championship game, used to direct the British Open with us. He directs the Saturday night college football game with uh, Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet. All three of us are, live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We're all members of the same club. There you go. So we try to find a time during the fall, because we're all doing football games. Try to find a time during our football schedule, like, okay, Tuesday or Wednesday at 11, let's go play nine together. You know, it's like our break from our football game prep. And they just play a quick nine in the fall and stuff like that. But I love to play and I enjoy it. And um, that has helped me stay passionate and connected with the game for sure because what it was the like calling your first open mm-hmm. I imagine that's got to be different than calling a normal tournament so was there a, a learning curve or did you reach out to anyone about calling your yeah. first open I'm just because you, you had some pretty exciting first few opens we, we too. did we did and uh, I think early on it was getting used to calling golf yeah and then we had a run of like four tournaments in a row right before the open so that was okay so 97 we had uh, the first tournament I did was the old Mercedes Championships, which is now in Kapalua, but then it was in La Costa in San Diego. And Sunday got rained out, and they didn't push it to Monday. They wanted to finish. For, you know, it's changed now, obviously. They wait till Monday. So Tiger Woods and Tom Lehman were tied for the lead going into the final round, so they played a playoff. And the only hole they could get dry enough to play the playoff was a par three, the seventh. And uh, Lehman hit it in the water. Tiger hit it to a couple of feet and won. And that was the first tournament it did. And so we had uh, our first Sunday on the air with me as the 18th tower announcer, we had, let's see, Lehman, one, Reed T, Tiger's tee shot, Lehman's putt, we had five shots. Five shots in the three hours. Easy you in. Okay, I got this. So, uh, and we did a bunch of tournaments that year. Matter of fact, the tournament after, really interesting story, the tournament after Tiger won uh, the 97 Masters, the win for the ages, as Nance yeah. called it. The next tournament he played was the Byron Nelson uh, in da- just outside of Dallas. Four Seasons Las Colinas and Fergie Fergie as in Sarah Ferguson Duchess at that point she was there she was hanging around that week um, hoping to meet Tiger and who knows what, what the deal was with that but it was the wildest scene people were everywhere just trying to get in the lobby of the hotel so they could like see Tiger walk by or something. so that was Tiger Mania yeah. just ratcheted up first time after that he played there and won. So that was that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
and covered the four or five tournaments after that leading up to the Open. So it, it didn't feel drastically different, but because it was a major, the prep was a little bit different. Jim McKay, the, one of the greats of all time, Jim McKay was our host for the British Open. We got to do three British Opens with Jim, who was in the 60s coming over here when Arnold Palmer put this thing back on the map for American golf, or put it on the map for American golf. McKay hosted in 97, 99, the Vanderbilt year, and 2000 at St. Andrews was I'm pretty sure his last one. So he was with us too. So he had some of the experience and history of the Open with him. Jim brought us on and off the air. Jim kind of was doing what I do now, where you host and then you toss it to somebody else and they do the 18th tower like Danny does for us. So um, it wasn't drastically different, but it was certainly the biggest thing that I had called. Yeah. And uh, like you said, it was cool. Justin Leonard came from way off the pace to win in 97. And 98 here was uh, Marco Mera playoff with Brian Watts, which was just kind of, you know, surprise out of nowhere. People didn't know Watts was playing well in Japan, um, but two Americans in the playoff there, and Omera had won the Masters back in April, and Justin Rose is the amateur who holds the shot of the 18th hole on Sunday. And then 99 was Vanderbilt, say no more. I wanted and, to ask about that. Oh, because sure. Everybody does. And then 2000's Tiger completing the career Grand Slam at St. Andrews. Right. So we had like a run at the start. Then you got Woods and a Duval. They got Ben Curtis out of nowhere, Todd Hamilton out of nowhere. Uh, that's re- we've had some really, really cool opens yeah. all the way through Mickelson in 13 at Muirfield, Greg Norman and Tom Watson getting close. And then uh, the last one we did with the ESPN group in 15 at St. Andrews, where Jordan Spieth won the Masters, won the U.S. Open, was still alive on the 72nd hole. Win delays us till Monday. Three-man playoff, and Zach Johnson ends up winning his second major. So we we had for the 18 that I did, 19 that I did at ESPN slash ABC, we had some unbelievable um, majors. I would say there's that's the best run of any major for that window. We go from 97 to 15. No major had more moments than this one. Yeah, I was I was definitely from that time period. I was wanting to say that. I don't. I don't think I'm as versed enough in history to say it's one of the greatest Open Championship stretches ever. But right, me I, some of the Nicholas era, I think, would uh, no doubt. Yeah, no there's doubt. a ton of memories there. But it, it, to get that kind of luck, not I wouldn't say luck, but that this championship just produces great drama. And it does. And I, so '99 Vanderbilt. Do you remember what your call was when he hit the ball in the water? Uh, yes. Because it, it's, it's in burned the burn. in my it's memory. In the, it's in the burn. Oh, but no, your, the excitement in yeah. your voice. Well, it's like a shock. Yeah, that's like, excite yeah. shock. So, so the, the, the few things about the Vanderbilt thing that I always love, uh, and Jack Graham, who's now one of our execs at the Golf Channel, is was the producer in the chair in the truck uh, doing that show. There are so many things I remember. Bob Rosberg, God rest his soul, was with a great, he defined the on-course commentator role before anybody else did it. Before Ferry, before Raj, it was Rossi. And Rossi and Curtis Strange, who was the analyst, had a great relationship. And as soon as Mandeville holds his putt on 17, starts the walk to 18, Curtis says, uh, Rossi says to Curtis, Curtis, he's not going to hit driver here, is he? And he, like Rossi, who was a brilliant Stanford educated, terrific golfer, in addition to be the PGA champ, great, smart man. Rossi was already ahead of the game on this one, and we all know how it played out. The one thing people talk about the least is that Vandeveld's second shot, okay, which is the one that ends up short of the burn, it ricochets off the metal bar, the rail, that the railing that is preventing the spectators from falling forward, 
in the grandstand. If you put your arm out, that's as wide as that metal bar is. And from over 200 yards, I can give him a big bucket of golf balls. He is never going to hit that rail again. Never. Same weather, same day, same... He is never going to hit that rail. He's going to hit the rail flush. And if he misses by two millimeters, it goes in the stands. It's a free drop. It's a much better lie. Even the lie was a great... It's a whole different equation. If he, if he bounces in the stands once and goes forward, he's over the burn. The drop zone's going to be up ahead. It, none of this ever happens. <laughs> he hits... The thing is, why does your forearm from over 200 yards and it bounces back into the thickest stuff out there? And he puts it in the burn and then the story begins. Yeah. Really? <laughs> really. So, then the socks and the whole deal and they roll them up and people yelling and the ball sinking and then in the bunker and out of the bunker and the 15-footer and then the 15-minute wait to start the playoff and Vanderbilt goes up to his hotel room comes back in rain pants as opposed to the white pants he was wearing or a fairly yellow or white pants he was wearing when he played. We don't know if he changed his pants or what the deal was. Justin Leonard and Paul Laurie are waiting to start the playoff. The weather gets as bad as it's been the whole week. It was terrible. Um, it was just Jeez. nuts. And the other thing people always forget is Paul Laurie hit an unbelievable shot on 18 in the playoff. He hit it in the worst weather, stone dead with a second shot. Uh, to, to rightfully win that playoff. Was it decided at that point? I couldn't remember what, what it came ahead, down to. He was in great shape and yeah. just kind of shut all conversation out. It wasn't, it wasn't a guarantee right. because we just watched 45 minutes before the most bizarre finish. 72nd hole in major championship golf history. Yeah. I always knew it was really um, unique, special, different finish to a golf tournament. And I don't know who was doing the show. It's one of those ranking shows like the yeah. uh, Top 20 greatest athletes, top 15 bizarre moments. It was the top 10 finishes in sports, and that was number one. Now, hmm. I don't know necessarily know if that should be number one. Biggest train watching, wrecks, maybe. Yeah, and I'm going, wow, yeah. what, a, what, a, what an opportunity we had to be there in college. So it, was, it was just bizarre, and there's not a month that has gone by since... And I only called it on American TV. Imagine the other a month that's gone by since somebody doesn't mention it to me. Really? And talk about it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I was, was going to wonder why you, you you were able to list off so many things that happened. You've probably told the story many times. Oh, but that, that second shot was had to be what he was trying to do. I think he even said afterwards, like, if I hit it in the grandstands, it's a free right. drop. I'm just trying to get it over the burn. Over the burn, you're done. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, now you're in good shape. Yeah. And that's the way he played all weekend. Yeah. The only thing people remember, he holds putts from all over the country in that week. He made so many putts. So it's, you know, we'll, we'll go there next year. Yeah. It'll be a, a huge revisit, I'm sure. Um, and it's great. Now, our commentary, Curtis and Rossi really made made it. They were they were great. They were great. Um, BBC's call with Peter Alice. If you ever get a chance to watch or see that, it's so cool because Peter is almost like he has seen the script for what is happening. He knows. He's trying to counsel him from from the heavens, no, 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 don't, don't do, no, you've got this all wrong. I, and it was just, it's so cool. And you know Peter? And Peter was working with us at that time, too, and then we'd go back to the meeting to call the end of the Open. Um, it was vintage Peter. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's great. A quick break from Mike Tarico to discuss the epic irons. Again, you've heard about the driver and you've heard about the three wood. 
but we need to talk about the new Epic irons from Callaway. With the industry-leading 360 face cup technology, Phil's face awareness has never been higher, I promise you. In fact, Phil and several other guys are putting the Epic Pro irons into play this week at the Open Championship at Birkdale. Uh, saw a lot of guys out there in the practice rounds hitting a lot of irons off tees, and the distance and forgiveness on these irons is a big difference maker. Uh, go to CallawayGolf.com slash Epic Irons to learn more. Callaway, the number one irons in golf. Uh, now back to Mike Tirico. So you, I mean, you list that's got to be moment number one. I would think. Yeah. Are there any other moments that stick out the most? And you, you ran through a bunch of them, but yeah. of those, is there one that kind of Tiger Career Grand Slam? Slam. Remember, yeah. you know, only only four had done it before, and none of those were on live TVs. We're the Warren still. We're the only ones ever do that on live TV at the Career Grand Slam at St Andrews at the home of golf at the height of Tiger Mania there in two thousand. It was uh, it was pretty pretty cool thing to see. I think that one, and I just, uh, you know, this is Tuesday, we're doing this podcast. I just walked with Mickelson, and we're just talking, and I I told Phil, I said, 13 is, uh, it sticks with me still today. Uh, Golf Channel re-airs these from time to time, and they re-aired 13 uh, open. Um, the Mickelson won at Muirfield, they re-aired it, oh... They've done it a couple three, times. Yeah, three weeks ago. Weeks, yeah. Exactly three weeks ago, and I was sitting at home, I watched it, and I got excited watching it again. And I don't, I don't do that. If, one, if a game that I did ends up on ESPN Classic or Golf Channel or somewhere or yeah. NBCSN, okay, great. Yeah, I did this. I, it brought back the feelings of it, I, and I got locked into it again. It was just one of the coolest moments that uh, I think because, and I say this in the broadcast, Phil, eight, nine years ago, we were walking on a, like a Monday practice round, late afternoon, and he was with Jim McKay, Bones, who's now part of our team uh, as an on-course reporter. And uh, Phil basically said, I don't think I can ever win this, just the way I play. Jeez. And then he started doing his work with Dave Pell, started flight the ball different, changed everything. He contested a couple of times and then won. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... Back to what you're saying about the Golf Channel airing those shows. I mean, that's it, amazing to watch social media light up when they do do it. Because, I mean, it is reliving it just the way you said. You don't remember the sequence of everything happening. You can kind of go back and remember a few shots. But it's fun to watch like, and just see, you know, who was in the lead. You know, I totally forgot Lee Westwood was in the lead at one point that day. That's right. Um, and just because that just doesn't become, it falls out of the story. So and Adam just, Scott was right there for the second straight year and really had a poor yeah. second nine, back nine on yeah. Sunday, and that cost him a chance to win the Claret Jug. And who knows if, but it might be the last time the Tiger finished in the top ten and made finishes in a top ten in a major. He finished T6, didn't play all that great, didn't make a thing on Sunday, finished tied for sixth, and that's the last time he's done anything in a major. Who knows what's going to happen going forward, but... No, T6. I don't know how many minutes we're into the podcast, but if you had like 21 minutes as the over-under for the first minute, no, no, it's not the first match on Tiger. I'll take that back. <laughs> I, I think every time there's a golf podcast, I always think that should be the uh, It's. I try to go as long standard. as I can yeah. each, each episode it without. It but, always does. It's part of history. It's part of everything. It really is. I mean, it's part of the, the reason why this tournament is the way that it is in the States, mm-hmm. too. I mean, right around the time you guys, you, you started doing it, I remember getting up and it would be Thursday or Friday would be mm-hmm. his early morning round yeah. it, it was appointment television if it's 3.30 if it's 4.30 what, you got up that Thursday or Friday and watched his, his morning rounds in the and, open and we would come or we'd come on now we're on from the first shot it's it's last here it's really cool for everybody back home and for all of us here doing it we used to come on I think at like 
9 a.m. East Coast time, which is 2 in the afternoon here. So you would get that morning wave finished or just finishing. And we always felt like we were coming on the air halfway through the day. Yeah. And then as ESPN got back in and did the whole open, we moved the start time back and back. And now we're you know, here at... Uh, 10.30 at night on the West Coast on Wednesday night so with the first ball. Let's go. Let's go. It's know? great. I mean, yeah. it's what golf fans have been clamoring for for so long. And, I mean, every year when Augusta rolls around, the limited television viewing, it's, it drives us nuts. So it's, we're super, super thankful for all that. Um, so you've been to Birkdale. This is probably your third visit. Third one here. Um, what do you know about Birkdale that makes you... I know you don't. I don't know if you if you yeah. do the same thing as Kirk Herbstreit does and refuses to pick a winner. But do you have a, a guy in mind that the well, course fits? I'll, I'll give you why I don't pick winners because picking a winner in golf is the stupidest thing on the <laughs> it's planet. So hard. Uh, uh, along with figure skating, these are the two sports that nobody plays defense. Yeah. So I can't. I can't stop anybody. At least in basketball or baseball with pitching or hockey with your forechecking your defense. At least you can you know you can match people. Tennis you can match people up. You know, Federer's game compared to the the strength of a Djokovic or, or somebody like that. Here, I don't know if this is Justin Thomas's week. Right. I, you know, did, did anybody, and somebody probably did, but how many people really said, you know what, Brooks Kepka, perfect fit for this golf course. You know, and I've sat on the live from desk, and if you if you did a rundown of what we everybody says, you pretty much got. A, Third of the field pick. I know. It's that time of week. Did dude. we mention him? Yeah, we mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We mentioned him. And, but that, that's just the natural conversation because it's player conversation, caddies, media, everything else. I've never got. I've yeah. never wasted one drop of energy picking a golf winner because I would do for up until you know four years ago. Look, Tiger. Yeah. Because he's won Safe. more of these than everybody else, and when he doesn't win, it's because he didn't play well or the other guy just played out of his mind. And you were pretty locked. Here's what I'll say about Birkdale. I think it's the best golf course in England. Okay. Uh, there are dunes all over the place. There's a feeling of you're playing in a major championship, but you're playing alone. Uh, it's a very isolating feeling up on some of these greens. I think it's just a spectacular golf course. And the list of people to pick from expands because you don't need to hit driver everywhere here. A lot of two irons off a lot of tees and if the prevailing wind is in play then you're bringing another 20-25 guys who can win and I think this era of golf era of golf lends itself to that because we've had seven first time winners in a row at the majors. Used to be you could, Andy North did that old thing Dr. North where he tried to pick a US Open winner on SportsCenter every every uh, major you can go through the list, and you used, you used to be able to eliminate guys, first-timer, right. this, that. Now, there's like 30, 35 guys who can win these majors, and that's a legitimate list of players. We, we're just having a conversation about Kevin Kisser. Sure he can. Absolutely. But what, why, why not? Mentally strong, this is a, you know, if they hit a 320 here, you know, really solid around the greens. The, the great second-shot golf course, which I think people people will see. So you just start throwing out a whole bunch of things. But, yeah, of course he can. Daniel Berger, absolutely he can. I could see that. Yeah. Ricky Fowler, of course. Yeah. And so you go that, and then you go the guys who just won majors in the last three or four years who were in the field. You're like, oh, we're 25 guys. Yeah. It happens so, quick. And then, yeah. just like you said, you started – You've covered everyone in the field. See, by a I'm just time. checking yeah, boxes. You just did it. You yeah, just did it. Checking boxes. John Rahm. Um, it's at far. John Rahm. <laughs> uh, moving a bit away from golf, I know you have a lot of changes coming up in in your life. I think moving into calling the Olympics. Yeah. Is there any anything about that that feels? I guess I should ask. 
Is this how you envisioned your career going? Is no. that always a goal? Yeah. No, no, no. You know, sometimes you get jobs that you weren't even willing to dream of. And Monday Night Football was that for me 11 years ago, 12 years ago now, in 06. Uh, I never, end of 05 when it was announced, I never thought I'd be doing Monday Night Football. Are you kidding me? That's quite yeah. different now, Michaels, and that's now, but here it is on ESPN, and you're the NFL announcer, here we go. Um, Olympics are the same thing. You know, we, I think, I personally thought Bob was going to do it forever. Yeah. Um, the fact that he did 11 primetime Olympics as the main host is nuts. Uh, that's. Uh, probably unreachable and I just want to get through one <laughs> and then we'll worry about two uh, but it's exciting it, it really is um, I think the enormity of it continues to grow for me as we get closer to it we're still 200 days away from South Korea in February of 2018 but the enormity of it the reality of it and the fact that you don't have anything else in television that is on prime time on network TV 17 straight nights and that's what the Olympics entails and it's everything from uh, figure skating to freestyle skiing, off that, you know, guys in the half pipe, gals in the half pipe, to curling, to what's going on in the world geopolitically, what's going on in North Korea, uh, what's the relationship North and South Korea, uh, what, what athletes are competing in the games, refugee team, what countries, why, all that stuff. It's a complete different set of subjects, topics, and um, you almost feel like it's 200 days away and I'm running out of time to prepare for it. So, Well, I, how, I feel like, are there any sports you need to especially prepare yourself for that you've not done before? Because you, I was also going to ask, is there any yeah. sport you feel like you can't call? Because you've done almost I, literally everything. Dan Hicks and I, were, uh, we walked the golf course yesterday, which is just fun because we, you know, we kind of do a lot of the same sure. stuff. And we really have, have had more chances to hang out and dance awesome. So we, one of the funniest people of all time, by the way. Does the greatest imitations. All right. Dan Hicks does phenomenal. Good imitations. podcast guest? No, as good as you can get. Okay. As wow. good as you can get. Hicks, he's awesome. Um, and he'll, he'll lap in, lapse into a couple of uh, imitations just randomly, which is just fabulous. <laughs> so, Dan, Dan and I were just talking about when you've done this for a long time, there's a survival skill set of being an announcer that you can probably call anything if you had a, had a chance to prep for it, you know? Um, do you ever have to think about what you're going to say on the air, or do you well, just, just go and react? Uh, I think you have to do both. Okay. Uh, I, I don't like scripting things out, but you certainly know that it needs to meet the moment and last for a long time, so if you don't put any thought into it, shame on you. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with pre preparing what you're going to say. I'm more comfortable not writing it down, but just kind of having it in my mind if, if this happens. But I don't, I don't paralyze myself with as an events go on. What am I going to say? What was it? Just, it'll come to you, or if it's a big moment, you should think about it for a little bit mm -hmm. on the way in. Um, for the Olympics, I'm not calling the events, right. so I'm not calling figure skating. So my need to, you know, decipher a, a, a lutz from an axle is not as important. But I will in preparation because you want to have an intelligent conversation with your expert analysts in those sports when they come into the uh, International Broadcast Center. Um, same is true with luge and bobsled and all the other sports. We certainly know that the features of the winter games, usually the alpine skiing, the figure skating, and some of the freestyle skiing. Yeah. So I will be as up to speed. I have not called almost any of the sports in the winter games. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to be spending time right now is trying to just go sport by sport 
know your parameters, know what you're dealing with. And the then, lingo, if you say the wrong word. I mean, was yeah. it tough to transition into doing soccer? I mean, or has that always been bit. a bet in you? Yeah. A, a, a little bit. And it's a sport I, I, I liked. I didn't love or follow as closely. And then we have a high school teenage son and daughter. Son first and uh, played soccer a lot. My daughter has since followed. And being around that, watching more Premier League games on NBCSN or NBC on the Saturday mornings, doing the World Cup, you're just getting ingrained with the proper language for soccer. And people know when, you, when you're talking it, when you're reading it. So you have to find that line. Learn it, read it, understand it, and then use it properly. And when you do, I, I think people just want you to be accurate. And you know, you can, you've heard people talk about golf. Yeah. You know, when somebody says that somebody's minus eight, you're like, ah. But have you ever gotten that from golf fans at all? Well, I, any feedback? Like, because they're a particular bunch as well. Yeah, I, I, I did at the start. People, yeah. people thought you had no idea about yeah. golf, but I, I kind of knew the game and was really smart with the terminology and you know it's I think people are really hard on Joe Buck who's just in his first few years of calling golf and it it's it's but he, but he, it's just an unfamiliar voice yeah, and I no, think you, no doubt and and, and I and Joe and I have visited about this before and Joe did great. He, he he really did. It's hard it's hard to do that as your first event and jump in and Joe did a terrific job. Yeah. And you know now here he is he's already through what, three years? Yep, it's been three years. Three for years, the US Open. and and that that the U.S. Open may be the easier thing. They do the, the women's U.S. Open, the U.S. Senior Open, learning all that periphery. I think it's quite challenging. And, and, but and it's hard because you don't see you don't see the tour players, but for once a year, and exactly. then you see the senior players, and then the women's players. But you think about this year, Joe sounded like he's done golf for a while yep. because he's done golf for a while. Yep. So it just takes time in our society. It's Scott Van Pelt's line. I borrow it all the time because he's a friend and I can steal from a friend. It's a microwave society. <laughs> you know, you want everything instantly done. Yep. We have instant analysis on the career. You know, is, is this guy a Hall of Famer? Well, is he a Hall of Famer? He's 25. Let it go. Let's, let's give him five minutes. Okay. So Last one. I'll let you out on this. What is the best town on the Open Championship Road. Best town. Oh, so, St. Andrews. St. Andrews. Not, I, I should have clarified. That's... After St. Andrews. Not even a conversation. After St. Andrews. Oh. I saw, you, I saw you all. You were in our hotel lobby yeah. last night. And after St. Andrews is a tough one. Oh, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Steve totally Sands is in this room. Do you mind if you, you need to leave? This is a podcast. Yeah. You can't be a guest. Um, uh, after St. Andrews. I, I like I like the Scottish towns. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go. Hmm. I like Troon. Like Troon yep. I like the Scottish towns because there is more the feeling of the golf course is the center of the town. I know the, I know the church is, mm-hmm. but it feels like the course is restaurants, shops, pubs. They're all right there yep. and uh, emanate around the golf course. It's always that quick walk from the 18th hole to any 19th hole. And there are varieties. There are par threes, par fours, right. and par fives for the nineteenth. You got your all your options there, and uh, th- those places just live off the business of the golf course, the golf tourists, and the golfers from around the world. And because the roots of the game are actually in Scotland, I think yeah. people come back and connect there better. So everyone um, knows everyone there knows golf. Can golf, talk golf, golf here yeah. for the golf, <laughs> golf, and it's just so cool. I'm thrilled to see you, and yeah. they want to share, like you're saying their course, their town, their history with you. Yeah. And uh, I, w- I would say, without picking one, although I do like Troon, uh, I would say any, any of them in Scotland. Yeah. But, uh, again, bucket list, if you have the resources to do it, the opportunity to do it once in a lifetime, 
open at St. Andrews is just the coolest, coolest thing. And you can't explain to people that they play golf's oldest and greatest championship on this golf course, essentially where the game was figured out, where we figured out 18 holes in and out on the scorecard for your front and your back nine emanates from the town of St. Andrews. You play out of town for the first nine, back in the second nine. That's why every golf scorecard you have in America says out and in, all that stuff. Sunday somebody wins, and then at 9 o'clock, people are walking their dogs in the golf course. Yeah. And you're like, this is St. Andrews. Public park. Well, what's going on here? People walking there like, take the ropes down. We're, no, yeah. it's champion golf, and you get the heck out of here. we we, <laughs> we got to walk our dogs. It's what we do every Sunday. It's They're just, closed on Sundays. Cause absolutely. They, yeah, so that's a, it's, people are used to walking it's their the dogs. It's the coolest. So. Cool. cool. All right, I'll let you out on that. Thank you for the time, Thank Mike. You. Good luck this week. I uh, hope to do it again sometime, and good luck with all the changes in your career going forward. So. Thank you. I hope you brought a second pair of shorts for summer here in England. And, uh, I don't think if, I'll need the shorts past today. If, if not, nobody will notice if you wear the same ones again. Thanks. It's fun to do. Appreciate it, Mike. Bye. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.